With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blackjack sale now on at Curry's PC World. Make your home the heart of the entertainment this Christmas. We've got massive savings on our large screen TVs across Sony and JBC. And for better angles and razor sharp details, check out our Samsung QLED and LG OLED ranges. Get in store or online at curries.ie. Welcome to the big 3-0. It's episode 30 of the bloodandmud.com podcast, your sweary pipe bomb of rugby knowledge, and I like to think, Josh, the England defensive effort of the sports broadcasting world. That is incredibly high praise of addition it on myself. It is, yes. yes but I'm that. feeling in that kind of mood this weekend as an Englishman. I, I bet you are. Uh, I am Lee Calvis, the editor of bloodandmud.com, and he is... And I'm Josh Gardner of Rugby Show. And coming up this week, we're going to have a little bit more from the rugby lexicon. We seem to go down very mm-hmm. well last week. We'll look at what I think is the best weekend of international rugby in history, in my obviously unbiased (laughs) opinion. (laughs) Totally, totally unbiased. Um, Last week, Josh, we had a record number of listeners on this pod. We've spiked up again. Whether that's simply because the word's been spread or uh, people hear about our our quality work or that it's international rugby which attracts far more casual fans. It's because I've said positive things about Wales, see? It is. People love that shit. And maybe James Haskell's so that... pointing people our way now. Oh, that's now we're in a more forgiving yeah. mood. Or I am. Mm. Um, so <laughs> so welcome along to those of you who are new to listening to us. Uh, I think you know who we are by now. You can get this podcast on Acast, on SoundCloud, on iTunes, and wherever else you want to stick the RSS. Thank you very much for all your reviews. Those of you who are new to us, and if you plan to stick around, then please leave us a review. It's really helpful, and it helps us to, to spread the word. Um Matt got in touch with us on Twitter at Blood and Mud, and, and, and at Josh Gardner to you as well. He said, "Great pod, hmm. nice, always nice, pithy." And then he said, "Haskell's performance last Saturday, this is in the first test, has put my relationship with myself in a dark and confusing place." <laughs> I'm with you, Matt. I'm with you. I'm thinking of starting some kind of online forum. I think you sort of you need kind of a support. I do group, need a support really, group in a very in a very real S- way. Survivals of James Haskell's adequacy. Yes. Anyway, yeah. So so there you go. So let, let's talk about the rugby lexicon, shall we? 
Um, yes, let's start with something. Yes, Josh, point. last week. This is the last week. We started with some entries from the Rugby Lexicon, which is our alternative dictionary from the game of rugby. And some of you have mm-hmm. got in touch with us at Blood and Mud to make some suggestions, some suggestions of your own. So thank you very much for taking the time to do that. Um, for example, Ian Bradshaw got in touch with us and said and created the verb to nige. To nige, like yes, it. to interject in a conversation, trying to be helpful <laughs> when you aren't needed. <laughs> After I imagine another example of this was at the weekend, which we'll come on to talk about later on. So, for example, oh, it was textbook noise, wasn't it? Yeah, so, anyway, so for example, uh, thank you, Kevin, for that. But maybe we could complete the whole lesson without you doing any more niging, please. I like nige. That's one of my new <laughs> yeah, favourites. To nige. Uh, Rugby Rumble got in touch uh, at Blood and Mud mm-hmm. and suggested a, a noun, uh, a launchbury laws, one word. Launchbury Laws, a top-of-the-range item you invest a lot of money in, only for a better model to be released very soon afterwards. For example, since the launch of the iPhone 6, my iPhone 5 feels a little bit like a Launchbury Laws. Mm. I was, uh, in the course of watching rugby this weekend, I, I came up with a couple uh, of other rugby lexica. Go. Lexica, is that a plural? Fucking Whatever, go. Um, I've got, uh, my first one is uh, Wallaby Scrum. Mm-hmm. To retreat at rate of knots. <laughs> uh, after the calamity of the Battle of France in 1940, the British Army had no choice but to wallaby scrum back to Dunkirk. <laughs> uh, and then my other one is uh, La Rue. To veer between brilliant and awful, seemingly at random, with very little explanation. While Bob Dylan is undoubtedly a musical genius, his back catalogue is a little bit La Rue when you think about it. <laughs> um, Ian Bradshaw again sent us another one. He has a lot of ones that are school-related, but I do like them. He said, to Wayne Barnes, a verb, to get chummy with those you should have a professional distance from. This is in relation to Wayne Barnes, is often used to the first of, um, the first name of players a lot, doesn't he? So, for example, yes. Mr Smith is worrying the headmaster by getting a bit Wayne Barnesy with the year 12 girls again. <laughs> <laughs> I I oh. I dived into the rugby lexicon archive on a uh, on mm. blood and mud because there's only so much creativity I can do in one weekend, and uh, to find a few. Uh, Stuart Barnes, a noun, a person who makes you angry. For example, and you'll <laughs> yes. you'll relate to this yeah. one, uh, Josh. For example, that Alan mm. Rolland is a complete Stuart Barnes. He, he is. Let's face it, um, as, as as total a Stuart Barnes as it could possibly get. Um. Stuart, Steve Walsh, an adjective meaning bre- breathtakingly beautiful. Well, he is an incredibly, incredibly handsome. <laughs> Some people say that Angelina Jolie is Steve Walsh, but let's be honest, she's no Steve Walsh. She's not. I mean, yeah. So there you go. Some more entries to the rugby lexicon. Thank you very, very much, everyone, for getting in touch. If you want to send us some more mm-hmm. of those, send it to at Blood and Mud or at Josh Gardner, or you can get in touch with Lee at bloodandmud.com if that's easy for you. Yeah. Uh, let's. Uh, after that little bit of uh, helpful and happy anecdotes and stories, let's go on to the games from the weekend, some of which are happier let's... than others. Yeah. Let's start off with uh, England. Aust- Aust- we... Go on in. You tell me what you want to start. Yes, I was going to say, should we just get this? Yes, let's do that. And... Australia versus England. <laughs> uh, outstanding game, I thought. Possibly the best game yeah. of rugby I've ever seen. I, I bet I bet it was. Um, I, I don't want to waste too much time banging on about how brilliant we're because I'm sure that you could do that <laughs> and you will do that. Um, and frankly, it gives me a little bit of acid reflux. So uh, I'll simply say I'm... that one to twenty-three. That was one of the most incredibly impressive defensive displays displays I've ever seen. It's, it was properly right up there. Um, they were immense. Oh, 
I agree. You don't want to say any more, no? You don't talk any more about that? Um. No? Okay. So, uh, the, but, uh, yes, you're right. Seriously, though, I agree. But also, uh, to temper it slightly, seriously, though, I think Australia balls this up a bit. Oh, I, I still don't understand how they lost. Um, is they had lost. loads I and mean... loads of ball. They had loads and loads of time. Mm. They managed, and they basically managed to nulls it completely up. But, you know, in a way, that makes it even better. I bet it does, actually. It's the satisfaction of knowing that, like, how they didn't... That 20-odd phase set at the end of the first half, like, how they didn't get something out of that, I don't know. But, I mean, let's be honest, Paul Gustard must have probably needed to go and sit in a quiet room and take some deep deep breaths at half-time to compose himself after yes. that because the commitment and the effort was just, yeah, they were on another level. And, yeah, and still, no matter how good they were, Australia should definitely have scored. Oh, they massively should. It was it was it was a leaf out of Wales's handbook against them I, last I year. Was, I was thinking, it was, I was sitting there thinking, like they were making it so easy, particularly late mm. on. They were making it so easy for England, like with that banal sort of predictable round the corner carries. I was sitting there genuinely thinking, like this is like watching Wales. <laughs> like they this that had that same sense of like possession for possession's sake that. You know, if we've got the ball, then eventually gaps will appear and tries will come. And it's like, no, you can't just like mindlessly go through the phases without doing anything with it. And yeah, that was. It was and it's very really odd. unexpected. You don't expect them to do that, do you? No, and I think I mean part of it. It was kind of a perfect storm, wasn't it? Really, mm. because the conditions could not have been uh, quite literally a perfect storm in many ways. <laughs> the conditions couldn't have been better for what England wanted to do. It was like. It'd been shitting down with rain all week, so the pitch was really heavy. It was slippery, and I mean, the general condition of the thing made it look like the Australian Olympic shot put team had been using it for target practice all week. It was yeah, it was pretty horrendous, terrible. It, yeah. But that totally nullified the Australian backline. You've been to the Millennium Stadium, so you know about bad. You, you <laughs> exactly, know, about, I bad, know yeah. about bad pitches. It was never that bad, um, and it to- but it totally played into England's hands because like Falau couldn't cut and couldn't get any kind of acceleration on the surface, so that all the backs were just running sort of ploddingly into the welcoming arms of English tacklers who generally just smashed them back again and again and again and, and, and then it left the game in the hands seem, of the Aussie forwards they seem to have lost that ability where they can they can mix the game up but or they, they, they mm. mixed it up in a completely predictable way because they, they seem to, to veer between wiping the ball left and wiping the ball right repeatedly on first phase which was dead easy to defend against because nothing was holding Absolutely. the defence line up and then they switched into driving around the corner repeatedly and it is yeah. kind of a basic that you say, well, do one a bit of each, mix it up, and that's yeah. try because that's how you break a defence down. I'm sorry, you know, I'm not an international yeah. coach, but you know, it's not that hard to work out. Yeah, it's almost kind of like with the backs struggling so much to get any kind of like make any impression on the game because of I don't know maybe the conditions or stuff, and like it was almost like they left it in the hands of the forwards, and the forwards' idea was, oh, we'll just run the, run around the corner a little bit and see what happens. Mm for 80 minutes and the answer was nothing happened at all really no um it was i mean i will say though like even though the aussies are probably moaning about it a lot more than i will i don't think that it had anything to do with them losing the game like craig joubert how on earth an England player didn't get a yellow card at some point during that game. Was well, he, he issued a number of warnings without actually doing anything afterwards, wasn't it? This is your last. Yeah, there were three final warnings, you, yeah. those, which by definition like... means, unless he was giving final warnings for different specific things, but he wasn't saying that, was he? Yeah, at one point he was like, "Well, 
I gave you a final warning before and then you behaved for half an hour, but now you're misbehaving again, so I'm going to give you another final warning. And it's like, no, just that's that's not how final warnings work. And like, as a result, England were quite happy to go off their feet and lay over the ball with impunity and concede penalties because it just seemed like he didn't really have the bottle to send anyone off. And he did. I, I thought Stephen Moore was going to lamp him at one point. He looked absolutely he incandescent. He was fuming, wasn't he? Mm. He looked faced like a cartoon shark. And we had the, <laughs> we, we had the we history will show. History will show. Off, history will show. Josh, out of context, that that was a defensive display about twenty minutes long with about fifty odd phases. If you add them all together, without giving a card away, yeah, that's what history and... will show. And we've all been there on the wrong end of that sometimes. Yeah, so absolutely, and it it, it happens. I, I still don't think that it's it's got any like I don't, I still don't think that's why they lost because like no. the com- defense was committed and heroic, but they were just it was the most unlike Wallaby performance I've seen in years in terms of like the attacking game. It was I... everything that was bad about last week combined with a complete disintegration of the attacking game. I think they got themselves far too... These teams clearly now despise each other. Oh, they There's like a, a miasma, a filthy miasma of hatred surrounding <laughs> all of them all the way through it. And I think the Aussies didn't deal with that half as well as England did. No, I think England took it as a bit of a laugh. Yeah, And the Aussies they, really see... did not find it funny at all. Because that was the thing, the pressure was off England. It's like mm. they won that first test, and it's like, well, we've won down here now. If we win the series, great. If not, oh well. Whereas the Aussies, obviously, and so they could sort of take that chippiness with a kind of smile and a bit. Whereas for the Aussies, it was proper do or die stuff. And I mean, what was it? Was it um, Kepu at that early line out where he just wandered over and just shoved a Todje <laughs> for no reason whatsoever? Yes. And it was a penalty. Um, like that was just textbook example of that's not you know you've lost your heads here boys you're not there's there's edge and there's niggle and then there's just not really dealing with it at all yeah and it wasn't the refs fault they couldn't hold on to the ball and they kept dropping the ball no, on not and they at kept all. making terrible decisions and yeah alright the refs should do a job and you, and you can, yeah, you can but... accept that as a fact without banging on for ages that it's cost you the game I also think that hmm. I don't think it's quite sunk in with me yet what the outcome of this is in the outcome of the, you know it's the first multi-game it's, series with one down there it's absolutely historic I mean from an Aussie point of view you can say they can moan about the ref contributing to them losing but more than anything I think it kind of it puts Michael Checker's you know messianic coaching credentials that he developed at the World Cup into a little bit of perspective because certainly yeah, I mean, because like he was obviously rightly hailed for the way that he sort of turned them into a, from a rudderless mess into this sort of dynamic force that reached the World Cup final. But like, the truth is that when like teams dramatically raise or lower their game in a very short period of time, like mm. it's quite rare that they actually stay that way because eventually, you know, chances are things will return to their median level yeah. of the players that are there and stuff. Yeah. And I suspect that something of that. May, t- may happen to England over the next year or so as well. However, like that's definitely happened with Australia, I think, because they can't scrummage. Their pack has got no graft or physicality about it, really. There's no control from the halfbacks. And yeah, they can score tries when they've got hard ground under their feet. But like, they just seem to have regressed so badly 
he's going to find himself under some pretty serious pressure if they don't improve in the rugby championship an awful lot. Yeah, that's the other part of it as well. It's a fact you've got to remember that this is this is their squad coming together for the first time with a few absences as well, mm. isn't it? You know, it's easy to think this is how it's pre-season, isn't it? It is, you know, and it, and it not, which is not, not to, but which yeah. is not to do down what England have done. It's an incredible achievement. I'm just simply saying, if, you, if you're an Australian looking at it, you're right to be pissed yeah. off, but you also have to think that somebody of Checker's experience is going to iron these problems out moving forward. So, he hasn't you? done it in the space of seven days. Uh, but I suppose it is only the space of seven days, so we shall see. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And but then you look at what Jones has done in seven days, and you just think, you know, you look at his team selections, and I think the way that he set them out in those two tests, like you've got to wonder what what's his what's his thought process, like that back line just full of all these sort of talented thumpers that don't have a great deal of rugby intelligence like I know his hand has been forced due to Gitto not being there anymore and Matt Tamua being injured but like leaving Christian Liliofano on the bench for like two games now like Australia have always played with two distributors like for years yeah. and to suddenly veer from that plan seems to have really backfired and also like that the Scott CEO situation like arguably the best prop in the World Cup has one bad week yeah has one bad week and you know, it was a bit of a mixed bag. Dan Cole had his, you know, added on toast to a, but he sort of got a little bit of it back. I don't know. I don't think he was as bad as, but like to drop him out of the twenty-three after one bad game and say, literally, say he's had his chance. Like, what the hell sort of message and does I that just say? Did, and he literally said I that. I think England just got on the right side of Roman Poit last week. They just played yeah. this scrum game quite well because because Cole was yeah. Cole was penalised for hinging at one point. And yeah. then later on, he he wasn't for doing the same thing. And when they looked like they were going to get mm. pierced for hinging, they, they wheeled round. And so they they just played a very. They, they got the referee. They did a brilliant way of making Poit make it look like it was Co's fault. And I don't actually yeah. think it was. Now you can take no, two views then... on that, can't you? You can say, well, actually, it's not your fault, Scott. You stay in the team. We'll get this sorted as a unit. Mm. Or actually, the refs think it's your fault. Therefore, we have to drop you. The Gethin yeah. Jenkins the, problem. There was a time last year, it, wasn't there, when it, that, that view that if Gethin's playing, he was it's just, probably yeah. his fault if it goes down yeah. on that side. And there was that, but that was after like a good year or so of Gethin getting on the wrong yeah, side indeed, of refs. Yeah. Whereas this is a one fucking game, <laughs> and he's gone from being the best prop at the World Cup to being not needed in the Wallaby Twenty Three. And lo and behold, this scrum got absolutely fucking marmalised when they could actually get a decent footing to complete the scrum. Um, so, yeah, I just think, yeah, there's there's some serious potential issues coming over the horizon for Australia, and I, I don't honestly know if there's too many ready-built solutions for those. Yeah, Michael Checker's going to have to do some serious coaching over the next six months. Come back to England. Maro hmm. Itoji still hasn't lost a game he started this year. The- no, it's twenty five games, games now, that he it? started and what? won every that is single one of them. Remarkable. It's utterly ridiculous. In a team game, you say, "Well, is that him?" But it's still a ridiculous stat, whichever way you look at mm. it. Um, and if you look at that squad, actually, you know, they're very young. And I agree with yeah. you; they're not just going to keep winning. That's not possible. No. You know, they're not New Zealand. They're not talented enough like New Zealand to just keep winning. It's going to something will go wrong at some point. I think. At the minute, they're not, you know, they're probably not that well developed. But when you look at the ages across, I mean, Dan Cole, who obviously looks like he had a paper round in Chernobyl because he's like 27 <laughs> in here or something and just and looks like that. 
he's fairly young. Hartley isn't. You've got uh, Marlow when he comes back, who's not exactly long. Yeah. Paul Hill was on the bench. Mm. Um, yeah. You've got, obviously, Atoji and Cruz. Atoji's very young. Cruz isn't much older. Even Launchbury and Lawson yeah. off the bench aren't old. Well, no, that's the Haskell's thing. Haskell's yeah, going like, to get swapped still out. In their 20s. Haskell gets swapped out for eventually. Clifford eventually, won't he? But Vinopola's yeah. young. Rob Shaw's, what, 29? Yeah. Still got yeah. probably three or four years in him. And then you got Ford, you got Youngs, you got. You know, they're, they're all just. Joseph's, what, 24, 25? You know, it's. The, yeah, something like Mike that. Mike Brown's 30. I think he will make way for good at some point. Like, it's, it's, He's got to, surely. Yeah, I mean, he looked good in that game on Saturday. Uh, I think mainly because it was his kind of bad decision. And it was his kind of game. It was all blood and thunder <laughs> was, and all that. It wasn't was a it? game for being a chippy shit. Yeah, and all blood it? and thunder and stuff. And he made some bad decisions. Mm. He should have kicked the ball away at one point and he didn't. He tried to step somebody. Yeah. Um, now, I think that's that's probably an interesting thing to think about, really, is where. I think without a doubt, like England are going to be up to what, second in the world rankings now? Very I soon, think. Yeah. On the basis of their last six months, I don't think you can really argue with that right now they probably are the second best team in the world and they're clearly they've the turnaround from the world cup is remarkable and they've clearly become a very good test team but like it's what do they do next that is interesting because obviously jones is probably well aware of this and they've got to do quite a bit more to become a properly great team that can compete against the all blacks or indeed against south africa and australia when they're not in sort of transition and in a bit of a shambles because like look at like attacking game for starters you look at the way that England has scored tries in this series generally it's been forward graft fair enough Um, naked opportunism brilliant or exploiting an Aussie fuck up and that's all that's fine and that's great and they've shown great precision and like a clinical edge to score those tries but like, if you wait for the All Blacks to make a mistake or lapse in defence, you're going to be waiting for a while. Or you build, or you base your grain plan against the All Blacks being on our defence will tackle hard for a long time. It doesn't mm. matter. You can't play that long without the ball with that level of intensity and expect yeah. to win consistently. You can't. You just can't do it. It's yeah. too hard. Yeah, because like with the, you know, as good as England have been in defence in this series you know there are times when I think that Wales in the last few years have had a similar level of I agree intensity. yeah that's a fair point yeah and I, I've i seen Wales attempt to <laughs> tackle the All Blacks to a standstill several times now when they were at their proper top of their game defensively and it doesn't work and it's not much fun is it crap. It's really not because it's kind of just like sitting there for eighty minutes while before you get carried away, England fans. It really isn't much fun, <laughs> and it's sort of like when it when you are in that sort of incredibly tense, intense defensive thing for a whole game. It's sort of like that bit in Casino where they're squeezing that dude's <laughs> head in the vice. That's the level of stress you don't want. That so what they need to do is inject something else into that back line a bit of X Factor, a bit of Stardust, like actual proper Falao-esque quality mm. that can unlock a properly committed defence, you know. So they need to go and get Sam Burgess well, back, teams... yeah? Well, <laughs> they need to get somebody. I don't really I know think Alex Good is, is a start, yeah, it... to be honest. I think that... It could be as definitely a start of it. I, I, I still don't think he's got the, the elite speed to unlock. He probably hasn't, but will he make your team worse... You know, value over replacement no. stuff. If he was to swap yeah. for Mike Brown, is he going to lose you a game, Alex? Good, probably not. Mm. Will he win yeah, you more no. games than Mike Brown? Yes, he probably will do. Uh, yeah, you're right. I don't know where that. And this somebody actually had a started tweeting me last night about this. Can't remember the name saying 
everybody had a go, everybody had a go at Saracens last year. Mm. Um, and mm. all England have done effectively is brought in a Saracens defence and a Saracens game plan. And now everyone's raving about no. how good they are. Like, it's I, very true. I don't think people are doing that. I think it's more about it's relative. It's about well, look where they fucking started. Mm. You know, and, and 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 nobody ever said Saracens weren't a good team. We just said we didn't like them very no. much. You know, it's kind of, there's yeah. a difference. And, and and it's and as a neutral, England are not a fun team to watch. It's quite dull to be honest. Yeah, but they get and in a similar way, the Saracens are not a particularly attractive team to watch. But they get a fucking job done. But it's about and... priorities and the order in which you tackle those priorities. We had a and, you know people exactly. need to remember that we England had a non-functioning scrum at the end of 2015. Yeah. We had a team that morale-wise was completely done in. We had no yeah. cohesion behind the scrum whatsoever. Now, all right, it's not exactly, you know, stardust behind there right now by any means, but there no, is some level of cohesion and people seem to understand yeah. what it is they need to do and what their job yeah. is, and they didn't have that before. So, no. you know, I think it's easy to, you know, it's the, it's the problem of fans, isn't it? And I, I'm the same. Yeah. You get a lot of hope built up, and England fans should know better than anybody that that's not a very good idea. But then the natural English thing, I think, with Wales as well, is to go, oh, it's it's, it's either much better or much worse than it actually is. And the truth yeah. is somewhere and in the, between. The truth is always somewhere in between, and it, it, it will be interesting to see how this England team can develop. Because you look at... at the English sort of backs out there and you, you're looking for you know a Ben Smith a Liam Williams yeah you know, yeah, a, pl- a player that has that X factor and combination somebody you can get through the line that's what it is yeah. at the very basic level it's something you can and I don't mean smash through the line I mean somebody mm. you can cut and I mean Liam Williams cooked a, cut a beautiful angle through the line on Saturday at one point and oh, it was no. so simple he didn't even do it very quickly he just he no, just timed he it to leg. perfection you know it was just yeah. and that's the kind of thing we don't do enough of and I think that's where either good coming in or mm. moving Watson to fullback yeah because I like him coming at fullback potentially because that raw pace from deep could be helpful and then you just need some you know, maybe Christian Wade on the wing. Mm. Just somebody's a bit less somebody, of a lump and a bit more about him. Yeah. Somebody could do something from nothing. I think I get the feeling that Jones is a little bit in love with big lumps on the wing, as he proved in his days of Australian. You know, mm. all of his rugby league lads coming over. <laughs> but yeah, just something. Maybe Elliot Daly at thirteen. I don't know. It's it's something to add that little bit of genuine top level. Yeah, because you know, it's it's to be admired class. how he's got Jonathan Joseph to do a defensive job very well because that was never really something very much you'd so. say was a brilliant part of his game. But on the flip no. side, we've lost that bit of him that he did have, which was yeah. that that he, those looked... quick feet and that ability to get round tacklers and so mm. on. So he's looked incredible. You know, he was the sort of thing that made England tick in an attacking sense mm. in under Lancaster, as they showed when they struggled so badly without him at the World Cup. You know, they they basically played him when his bicep was torn off his or his pectoral muscle was torn off his chest because they didn't have anybody else and so yeah the fact that he just doesn't really do anything attacking wise anymore but does a shift defensively is laudable but a bit of a shame so we shall see you know I've always had a thing We've, I keep saying I'm going to do hashtag momentum watch each week and we haven't done it I'm not going to do it this week I keep forgetting <laughs> sorry everyone um what do you think about England, by the way? I've had a bit of contact um, from a few people. But do you think it's too early to say? I think it is. But, um, 
you know, and, and I don't believe in the momentum of results. As much as England winning all the time is good, and it's not a bad thing to happen, of course, that would be a fucking stupid thing to say. I don't believe in the momentum of results. I believe in the men- momentum of performance and form. I don't yeah. believe that if you're playing like shit and you somehow manage to squeak a win and people say, oh, you'll carry the momentum into next week. It's like, no, you won't. You'll still play like shit next week if that's what's happening. And a better team will probably beat you. So it's about... Mm. If England could keep maintaining this consistency and momentum of performance in the forwards, then you can at least try and build on something. But you've got to find yeah. the players. And as you and as you were groping around there, and I was, it's yeah. hard to know exactly where they're coming from. I mean, Cipriani's playing with the Saxons at the minute. We know what he can do. You know, you're not you're not yeah, finding anything there's... remarkably new out there, are you? No. So there you go. We'll, we'll stop talking about England anyway yeah. because that's quite a long time to be spending on. I... I, I genuinely think I I don't agree with the momentum I, as a last thing I don't agree with I agree with you about momentum being bollocks but I do think from a psychological point of view winning games you know even though they've not played well winning these two games against Australia is a massive psychological and confidence boost for these players who might have started to maybe doubt you don't want that sort of rot to set in yeah and I'll probably come on to the, Engl- the England the England the but... England football problem. <laughs> That we, we've lost before exactly, we started. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so but we need to beware as Tom Jones, who got in touch at Blood and Mud, said, not 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 him. It's not, not unusual. Him. Oh, hey, <laughs> said um, that he'd like to go to the green green grass of home. No, he said uh, he said, uh, beware Eddie and the great glass hype machine. And I think that's probably <laughs> fair enough. Let's all just keep ourselves in temper. But I think I think they've got their feet on the ground. But we'll just see. Yeah, I think there's absolute. You know, if I was an England fan, I'd be bloody delighted today, and I would not have any. But as we all know, Josh, as negatively. we all know, you're not an England fan. You're a Welsh. No, person. I'm not. So, something much more depressing. Uh, so let's talk um, about the latest instalment of the great caravan of loss that is uh, Wales's tour to New Zealand. Do you want to talk about the Chiefs yeah. game at all? Um, no, I <laughs> you do like surprise that me. That never happened. I, I just kind of, yeah. You know, I just want there to be like a big scene missing sign, <laughs> yeah. and then there's a bunch yeah. of players shaking hands at the end of the game, yeah. and the, the ones, the ones in red, look slightly befuddled. I'm sorry, you're um, breaking up. I'm afraid. Yeah. Yes, I can't talk about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I foolishly expressed something vaguely approaching optimism in last week's podcast, and uh, I f- should really know better than that by now. Um, as it was, my optimism had imploded into incandescent rage um, at the Chiefs game. I think by which was Tuesday morning. It was, so yeah. Basically, by the time that most people were probably listening to this podcast about me saying <laughs> positive things about Your Wales, Twitter time. I had already reverted to my default pessimism. Your Twitter timeline so. looks quite uh, <laughs> schizophrenic. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> it's, 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 that that is the nature of the bipolar Wales fan, indeed. You know, it's. Uh, yeah, I, I'm. I'm still not sure you can describe. Like, obviously, that was a pile of shit, and I don't even. Okay. Wanna, it was probably the, one of the Welsh worst Welsh performances ever. Um, and doesn't say a lot I about your second string, as you said. I think in a tweet no, at the end really of the game, didn't you? you just well, said, yeah. Well, Gatlin basically said like, "There's a few players in that, like quite a lot of players in that team who've been knocking on my door and saying, why am I not starting?'" That's now he just has that on a PowerPoint because, loop in the team room. Yeah, exactly, because you're a bag of shit. <laughs> you got dicked by the Chiefs' second string. And you, and, and um, the wingers yeah. were so bad that he put his best fullback on the wing and played yeah. an inexperienced 10 for his third cap against the best team in the world out there. So. Yeah. 
and uh, you know that that's that's what Tom James and Eli Walker <laughs> collectively shitting themselves will do for you. Um, so yeah, so let's talk I'll, about the game on, then, on on the first game on Saturday morning, the test. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure you can describe it as as progress, really. I like don't think it was absolutely that... awful, though. As an objective person no, I... looking in, there were frustr- I imagine there were frustrated. Well, I wanted Wales to win, watching, and there was a frust- it was frustrating at times, but there were still crumbs of comfort to be had in there. The question for me yeah. is, how do you stop New Zealand doing that, that having that 15 minute period where they just destroy every positive emotion you've ever had? Like list, like, like <laughs> listening to Katie Hopkins speak for ten minutes. You know, it's that kind of feeling when they run those three yeah. tries in. That's the last thing. It's like, it's like well, I, I agree with you. I think like the All Blacks were very average in the first half, and Wales played like a much more tight, but more probably more intelligent game in the first half to keep them honest, basically. And the attacking game plan that they're developing looks markedly different from what they were doing this time last mm. year for example good stuff but like it's the same old thing like there's this at least they didn't they waited like they came back a bit at the end to score a couple of tries and add a bit of respectability but it's the same thing of there's a 15 minute period where the game just goes horribly wrong can you stop can, you can any teams could they do that to every team there's loads of teams can live with them for a period but then that just happens I, mm. I when I was in Lancashire as a kid I was the, the, that fantastic and great Wigan Rugby League team the one that won the Challenge Cup mm. nine years on the trot and won everything was playing yeah. and there were loads of games you'd watch that, and I, I fucking hate them and I'm and, and being from Lee and stuff and there were loads of games you'd watch where you think they were going to get beaten and there'd just be that 10 minute period where they just fucking ruin everything for everybody else yeah. and, and, and nobody <laughs> seemed to be able to prevent them from doing that is it because simply they've, they've just got players that are better and that's what they can do and how do you stop it I'm not sure and I've been racking my brain can. on this how do you actually do it do you tie them up in a forward game and don't get them frustrated but then again the forwards use the ball well is it simply because this is what a team as good and talent as good as that does to you and, there's no, and therefore there's nothing you can do about it therefore you can't get too pissed off about it really I think there's a the thing that became apparent to me is that that 15 minute period like instantly the tails go up from the All Blacks and they instantly go they've just conceded so there's going to be a a desire on their on the opposition's part to basically make amends so it seems like they but it's, it's almost kind of like a weird sort of very quick rope dope so they hit you and they're kind of counter-punching almost. Yeah, so they, they hit you, they know, go, well, you're like, going to come at us now, which is perfect You're going to come yeah. at us, and then and they just wait for you to, and they sort of soak it up and soak it up, knowing that in this sort of desperation to show that you're not going to get blown away like everyone else does mm. and bring yourself back to terms, you probably throw a little bit too much at them, and then the second that they spot anything, you know, it's... Yeah, they're up the other end of the field and they scored. And then once you let in one, it's almost like oh fuck, and we go again. again. And then before you've, re- yeah, and then before you even realise it, you've conceded three or four tries in the space of ten or fifteen minutes, and it's remarkable. Why but- is no other? The other thing I find myself asking constantly, and this has been a question that's been asked for a very long time: Why is no other team that good with transitioning possession? 
Because there's no excuse for it, is there? I mean, I know that they are, it's in their DNA and it's their national sport. But, you know, in the old amateur days, they were coached better than anybody. You know, they were. They simply were. They were were ahead of things. Now, I'm not sure, you know, resources-wise, they shouldn't be. You know, the idea you can get some turnover ball and just fucking move it properly shouldn't be like, you know, Fermat's last fucking theorem, should it? (laughs) <laughs> but that's the thing I think that they don't look like I've read an interesting thing where like um, what's his name the Aussie scrum coach Argentinian bloke Ledesma um, yes Ledesma was uh, basically sort of saying that uh, the Aussie scrum would struggle for all the time to- like as long as Aussie kids grow up not wanting to be front row players or forwards mm. Because all of them want to be fleet-footed backs because of the sort of Aussie, like the, the yeah. crossover with the NRL and with Aussie rules. Because you know these are the sort of razzle dazzle exciting, and they're the skills they want to use. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's the same in the northern hemisphere as well. But where you know you want to be the exciting, you know, outside half yeah. or the winger who scores. Uh, nobody all the wants twice. to go in goal in football, do they? You know, it's the it's it's, it's that sort of. Whereas in New Zealand, I think they just. They're not really worried about making players front rowers or forwards or backs. They just make rugby players, and then yeah, when their body type develops. Into... But I know for a fact, because I've done the badges and all that shit, that that yeah. is what the whole thrust of coaching is now in here as well. Mm. You know, you don't pick somebody in positions. You coach core skills. You coach ambition. You coach ability. You don't pigeon, you know, if you've got somebody who's massive when they're 11, you don't just give them the ball and let them run straight at people because they'll skittle everybody over. You get them doing the footwork yeah. drills, you get them doing the handling <coughs> drills because they, otherwise, when they're 17 and everyone's bigger than them, they'll just be a shit <laughs> rugby player. You know, it's kind of that kind of thing. Yeah. It's, so, but I think it's much more ingrained. And they've been doing it for longer, I think. I, you know, yeah, they've always done it. So it's kind of, they've almost got the benefit of this is like the 10th or 15th yeah. generation of this kind of thinking. And the coaches that are coaching it now, it was like that when they came through, and when their, you know, dads came through, and their grandfathers came through, probably. Because it is and literally so just it's... a matter of getting a turnover ball, looking up, and passing the ball, mm. isn't oh, it? Yeah, you look at uh, Kino literally for that um, for the severe yeah. try. He just got the ball, was on the deck, saw that there was a bit of space, offloaded from the deck, and all of a sudden. They've got space, and they're incredibly. I mean, they've got incredible athletes. Let's not forget yeah. that as well. Like, but they're not genetically better or anything, are they? I mean, some no, people who are do... genuinely more talented are. But what I mean is, there's no specific gene pool down there that makes them better rugby players. No, know. but they do have their pick. They do have first choice of all of the Pacific Islands, pretty much. I don't think they still who... do now, though, do they? I think I think that they're still I was reading a thing the other day where it basically was like yeah still anybody that's born in, in Fiji or Samoa or any of these Pacific Islands they they want to play for the All Blacks and so what so that so I their families will that, move to New Zealand you mean because they're not out there's no raiding parties yeah. going there or anything daft like that is there no this no is, nothing like that because I always thought like, their, their team their team just reflects young, why it? there's more black people playing football for the English national team it's just that that's the demographic of their immigrant population over the past 30 years basically mm. but you look at sort of players who've sort of gone over there and they live with cousins or grandparents or whatever and it's like you kind of feel like if they look like they want to 
play professional and playing professional rugby end of story mm. you know if they want to play professional rugby they can't stay in Fiji or Samoa or whatever because there isn't really professional rugby over there at a club level so they've got to go to New Zealand or Australia or wherever and in that the course of that they probably do cherry pick quite a lot of the best athletes and I do think that like those Pacific Islanders probably are genetically better or more than predisposed to play the game of yeah they've, they've yeah. got yeah um, but it's not that. You I think that's that a sideshow to the central issue. Yeah, it's a sideshow to the the coaching that just preaches intelligence and yeah, just knowing what to do. But with I the mean, ball. just like very basic things, like the the, the, the try that was scored with the eight nine eleven move off the back of it. You know, that's yeah. as old as the fucking hills. That is, they just did it very well. Of course, it was. boom, 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 yeah. in. You know, it's <laughs> and they realised. And they realised that Wales blitzed like a bastard, so Kieran Reid did that sort of basketball pass over the top thing yeah. that they've been doing quite a lot to counteract the Welsh blitz. And once again, we bit on it, and it was a simple walk. And as much as it, it wasn't like, a complete downer for Wales, uh, they did make they, they made more mistakes than last week. And yeah, when Talupi's I mean, dropping the ball, you know it's not your week, don't you? Yeah, I mean, I don't really know what to say about Wales anymore because <laughs> they're not a bad side. <laughs> what you mean, yeah. Like... It, but it was another performance that had some real positives but like they're just one of the most inconsistent and baffling teams in international rugby it drives me mad like people blame Gatland for it and like he definitely deserves some blame don't get me wrong and people will ba- blame the players for it and certainly after Tuesday morning I think they deserve <laughs> a fair bit of stick too but ultimately I just think the more things carry on the more it just seems like Wales don't have this mentality or a culture to be consistent winners like when Warren Gatlin turned up, it was almost like he mind-tricked them for a while into being sort of vaguely comfortable as favourites and like winning games on the bounce. But ultimately, I, I genuinely think that there's like a cultural, psychological baggage that these players have by virtue of being Welsh that just wins out in the end, and they just look like a team that they never. I never believe that they expect like they they could actually think they can win some of these games. You look at them and you think. Do they actually believe that they're going to beat the All Blacks today? I don't know if they do. Yeah, I remember I interviewed like, Martin Bayfield about a year or two ago, and he said exactly. He said the same thing. He said it's it's all in the head because it's not a talent problem. Mm. Certainly, beating no. Australia, maybe the All Blacks, but certainly beating Australia in South Africa, it's not a talent problem. It's there's no. something upstairs, and, and and that whole thing, as you say about the Chiefs game, the wider talent pool is is becoming yeah. a problem because if you look at that bench when it came on, I mean, basically, New Zealand brought on. Like you know, the Marvel Avengers off the bench, really, and and yeah. Wales brought on the burglars from Home Alone. <laughs> well, exactly, and it, uh, but as you said, the the talent pool is being stretched to the limit at the moment because of injuries and because of various other factors. But yeah, I do. Which think is a very that, long like, discussion about in, investment and so discussion. on. And yeah. hmm. uh, the the piece that you retweeted in the week, I thought was very accurate. yes. Rugby that. Phil BB um, uh, did a brilliant piece on this on Twitter. If you're interested, he did. by the way, that was very interesting. Um, but it's, <laughs> I do think that is a mindset thing because it's not just it's endemic and it's not just the seniors. Like textbook example, under twenties Wales played Ireland last week, and before the game, um, the Sky interviewer asked the uh, Jason Strange, who's the Wales under twenties coach, uh, Jason, you come into the tournament, reigning Six Nations champions, Grand Slam winners, you confident of winning today? His response. Uh no. <laughs> like I mean, yeah, that's funny, but, but it's, it's not. kind of funny that <laughs> kind of makes you wince as a Wales fan because in your heart of hearts you know that like the bulk of the players on the pitch 
can't help but share that mindset deep down mm. that it's I honestly think that it like hampers Wales's development that there's this I mean look at me I'm incredibly pessimistic about everything when it comes to Wales and I can't honestly believe that like at least a fair proportion of the players don't feel the same way do you remember when um Sven was in charge of the England football yes. team and he brought in that psychologist Willie Rilo Dr. Willie yes, Rilo, yes, to, I remember that. Yes, to get rid of their psychological baggage about penalties and all and that And everything, shit. yeah, the constant and, fear of failure, yeah. And he had that sort of theory that there were these two types of athletes, cultural architects and cultural prisoners. And, like, the architects are the people who aren't sort of bound by the past and they can create this sort of new idea of what the team is supposed to be and the prisoners are the ones who are sort of defined mm. by what is... Oh, no, is it everywhere? No, sure, stay and sort that out. We can have dinner another time. Amazing. Whether it's cancelled plans... Need to get in the kitchen and calm down. ...or the need for a quick, convenient distraction. Introducing Goodfellas Mini Pizzas. Four mini pizzas made with respect that cook in 11 minutes. Goodfellas Minis. Embrace the unexpected. Bank of Ireland is looking out for your financial well-being. They want to help protect you from fraud. So whether it's Black Friday, Cyber Monday, or even just plain old Tuesday... Be careful online. Don't assume that every text message or email you get claiming to be from a bank, a delivery service or any company is legit. And remember, Bank of Ireland will never send you a text message or an email with a link asking for your full 365 PIN number or one-time passcodes. So don't give them out. Search Bank of Ireland Security. And together this Christmas, we won't let the fraudsters win. Begin. Bank of Ireland is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland come before and that if you want your team to sort of do something new and different you have to have more architects than prisoners in yes. their makeup or whatever it's like Clive Woodward's energizer down. and sappers analysis it, yes. type thing but, but not the same but, but yeah. somehow, somehow that that wanky psychology thing is less wanky than Clive yes. Woodward's energizer and sappers yeah um but I honestly think that that might, might be a bit of a problem with Wales like there are like there are practical problems with Wales don't get me wrong like the midfield defence has gone to shit now that Robertson Davis are actually being told to pass the ball and things like that. Um, yeah, you can't much, have it both accurately. ways. <laughs> no, exactly. They kick too much um, and not accurately enough, and the line out is a shambles. But um, the, the problems seem to like fluctuate from week to week, and that's the line out was fine last week. Exactly. It's like it's, it must be like playing fucking whack a mole. If Wales Wang. Edwards, Welcome to Wales yeah, Wang. You, <laughs> but you look at like what Jones has, and we've talked about this, like the way that Jones has kind of basically been able to identify a problem and then fix it. Yeah. And, and fix it consistently across two games, it seems, yeah. Yeah, and I honestly think that like that's partly why like England don't have this baggage thing to such a degree that Wales do. Like deep down, like it's probably why you know it's partly why everybody hates you, but you've got that confidence to believe that you can actually beat yeah. it, like on your day. That's what you comes from a long people. history of subjugating people. It breeds yes, with exactly. it a certain confidence. <laughs> yeah, and all it took to sort of bring that confidence back to the fore was a ironically of something we previously subjugated. <laughs> yeah, um, and you've got that natural swagger back, and all of a sudden, and then you just have to fix the errors as they crop up. But with Wales, like. It seems like they fix something one week, and then the next week, as you say, something else goes wrong, and it's all because of that mental fragility and that lack of belief that you just think 
It must drive Gatland fucking mental. <laughs> as, like, as genuinely, yeah, genuinely, like banging his head against his desk, mental because, like, they will just express this mental fragility in a different and infuri- more infuriating way from one week to the next. And like, I, do, I do, I don't think that like playing the Southern Hemisphere as much as we have under Gatland has helped because it's made a whole thing of it that he can't beat the Southern Hemisphere and neither can Wales. Because yeah, it was a problem beforehand, but because he's sort of had this mindset of if you want to be the best you've got to beat the rest and that's record breakers um, <laughs> whatever works you've got to play yeah if you've got to play the best in order to become as good as them so he's made sure that Wales have played the Southern Hemisphere team literally at every opportunity that they've had and it's had the reverse effect like, possibly yeah I honestly think it's created an even more of a sort of weird cultural like mental block thing and there's not really any progress being made in that at all but other than that, it's well, fine. Well, that's fine, yeah. There you go, Wales fans. Yeah. yeah. You've got a completely unchangeable psychological problem, but other than that, it's fine. Mm. Speaking of Sven Goran Eriksson, I'll tell you what, you talk about cultural architects. Wouldn't you like to have been him? He just spent about 20 years going around the world catch, collecting multi million dollar checks for failing. That's yeah. not a bad I mean, job if you what, can get it, is it? England, failure. Mexico, failure. Some in the Middle East, failure. Just collect, <laughs> They sack him and just give him a massive check to fuck Notts off. Notts County, failure. Yeah, just yeah. give him a massive check to fuck off. What a life. Anyway, I digress. Mm. Yes. Let's talk, speaking of failure, let's talk about Ireland. <laughs> oh. I excelled, yeah. Mike. Speaking of failure, let's talk about me. Uh, mm. d- did you see my performance prior to this match, Josh? I you may have not no. done while you were in. I had been very busy that day. And I came yeah. running into the house and flicked the television on to find a lad singing a South African anthem. Yes. Who had a pair of hipster 80s sunglasses on and hipster gear and a terrible haircut. I took a photo of it on my phone and said, look at the clip of this twat. One of my normal, <laughs> quite sweary, pithy things. Somebody came yeah. back and said, he's blind, isn't he? <laughs> oh, fucking hell. And I twitch out and something inside, something inside me sort of fell over. Oh. And uh, then I said, "Okay, I'm sorry. Oh, I didn't no. realise that he was blind." And uh, then I got a lot oh. of uh, actually quite friendly abuse coming back at me. They weren't. I wasn't. I wasn't social mm. media shamed because it was an honest mistake. But yes, I did excel myself there, a bit like Alan did in the second half. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't. I don't oh, want to use the cliched term here, so let me try and. Uh, I'll say it was a contest of dual, equally sized portions. Mm. Um, yeah. Even Willie, even Willie LaRue looked better in the second half. That's how strange a game this was in terms of the it way it was, went. I still don't understand. I don't understand how Australia lost. But much more than that, I do not understand how Ireland threw this away. Like, genuinely. That was 19-3. 26 how, points. 26-15 with 15 minutes to go. Yeah. Like, as, as capitulations go, it's absolutely spectacular. Yes, it is. Like, uh, <laughs> Like South Africa was shit. They did seem to get a bit more Again. physical in the second half, but that seemed to be about mm. it, didn't it? Really. Well, that was the thing. They they kind of they had resilience and they had a, the bench. I feel gave them a real impetus this week. And fair play to them for like refusing to give up and lie down when they were in a massive hole. But I, I they just it felt to me more like Ireland just ran out of any kind of steam defensively and just faded in the face of the box just smashing the shit it's, out it's of them. a bit again like Wales I do think there's, yeah. a, there's an element of it was brilliant that defensive effort last week was brilliant and Wales' effort last week was brilliant they both looked significantly yeah. more worn out this week they did yeah would a global that's, season that's, that's solve these problems 
Mount was getting to it I too much. Def- at least, well, at least both teams would be coming to it in a similar state of yeah. condition, wouldn't they? Because there's always a bit of a, you know, it's always a bit unfair <laughs> at the moment because it's like either they play the Southern Hemisphere teams when they're knackered at the end of the season or when they're yeah. kind of in a bit of a incoherent shambles yeah, at the, the start problem with that of the is though is when we play at the end of the season we usually lose well yeah <laughs> so that, I mean, that's, that's the thing. problem with that I mean, analysis that is point, by that point we're exhausted yes as they're proving but um, or, or generally they are England obviously aren't but um, yeah I do think that no what I mean is when they come over at the end of their season in autumn we still lose to them then oh yeah and, and <laughs> so the, the tiredness factor doesn't seem to affect them quite as much no, but they don't play as many games as we do at True club enough. level, do they? And you know, it's 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 a shambles. But let's not go into it now because we'll be here all we will. day. Yeah. So it was a strange old game. Um, I don't know what else to say, really. It's a really Devin Tony was missed. It, finally, quite good again. He's really good again. Uh, what's his face? Reese Broderick was very good, I thought. Um, but like Devin Tony looks like Papier Mâché with four long twigs stuck in it. That's what I've worked out. <laughs> and yet somehow really long yeah. really long twigs, but he's got like really he's got like one. slight moob and like this accountant's yeah. head and then these big long twiggy levers and yet he's yeah, somehow he's like... powerful and dynamic and stuff it doesn't make, it doesn't really make any I mean, sense the, 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 the power and the dynamism has only appeared in the last that's the other thing doesn't make any sense like either carried he carried kind away. of wibbled around yeah. for two years and now he I don't know yeah some nights uh, yeah very odd but yeah, I mean, they must be fucking delighted the Springboks have won that game. Oh, baff- like, they just, they had a bench this week that True. was clearly up for it. Yes. And, like, I mean, Ireland were knackered, as we said. I mean, how many times have you seen Conor Murray, like a, a player of his size and physicality, get completely steamrolled <laughs> like he did for that Steph to top yeah. try? I mean, and, and Paddy Jackson played more like we expected Paddy Jackson to when we were previewing the whole tour let's yeah. face it um, he was basically like a shitter runner and a guy yeah, and they, and they did run into in the defense. Point in that second half as well yeah oh, they hadn't figured that just, out before you know, I don't know but there you go no it's kind of obvious but he was tactically suspect as well I thought And but he was decent with the ball in hand and not bad off the tee maybe we got a bit excited last week when we anointed him the new alternative messiah we've learned nothing um, have we We've reversed no, we cursed. Really no, I do. We, we cursed yeah. him. I, I, in fact, I did. I did comment that on Twitter. Uh, I, I wished just once that my powers of reverse cursing would with work your own team on a team that I. <laughs> well, just on a team that I I wasn't actively rooting for. Yes. Yeah. I've been trying to reverse curse England for the last six <laughs> months, and it hasn't worked once. But no. It'll come. We'll play, the all, black. we'll play wanted... the all Blacks in the autumn. It'll come then. Because <laughs> that is the caveat on everything you say about England now, you know. Asterisk: they haven't played the All Blacks yet. The All Blacks, yeah, yeah, and that is obviously, yeah. But anyway, um, let's not beat around the bush, though. South Africa, as good as they were in yeah. the last fifteen minutes, are absolute um, bombings. Really bad, really bombings. bad. Yeah, like their discipline in the first half was comically awful. Like the penalties they were giving away, it was just like, why are you even? What uh, JP like, Peterson playing like he's had a lobotomy? <laughs> he's terrible. Like, for a man who's got sixty nine caps or something, yeah. it's, he looks like a man who's never set foot on a rugby field before in his life. Uh, probably sounds about right. I found out it? Matt Tamu was injured. That's why he'd... he's not playing. By the way, yes, I, I did yeah. find that out because I asked last week. Be delighted with that. Um, yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, they, they also... Elton Jantis. Oh. He looks an amazing player in Super oh. Rugby, but he is just... Oh, he's drowning at Tesla. Spies about Absolutely as much confidence drowning. as an Italian government funding inquiry, is what I said. <laughs> he does, yeah, he's awful. Yeah. I mean, he says... It says a lot that they looked much better with Mornay Stain rising from his coffin Nosferatu style <laughs> to steer the pack around in that joyless, efficient way that he's always done. He's only 31, He's another, yeah. I'd have said he was at least 50. Given, yes. <laughs> he's looked like an unconvincing middle-aged Steve Walsh impersonator since he made his debut whenever it was. So I assumed he was Still at least 40. not been forgiven. No, <laughs> never ever. Uh, right, yeah, so that was South Africa versus Ireland. Japan played Scotland, of course, as well this weekend. Sorry to tag this mm. on at the end. Scotland won 26-13 against yeah. the second string Japan team, which is completely expected. I didn't see much of it, but the bits I did see of it, Scotland looked pretty comfortable and looked like they should have won by a lot more. I think that was... Well, yeah, I think that... I'll put it this way. There's a five minutes highlight patch, uh, package on the Scottish Rugby YouTube channel. So And the rugby doesn't actually start until a minute 30 into that video. <laughs> Uh, and then the full-time whistle goes with 25 seconds on the video left to go, and I still got bored. Um, it seemed like it was a dreadful game. Like Before the tour, I think we said that they needed two convincing wins to yeah, that's what really I said, call yeah. this tour a success, and I'm not sure an almost full-strength team getting a 13-point win against a Japanese side that was missing seven first-choice players, including Leach, Goromaru, and all the rest, isn't really very good. Like They only scored tries... They scored a penalty try against fourteen men, and then they scored from through WP Nell against thirteen, and those are the only tries they scored when they had Hogg, Seymour, Taylor, Scott, and all the rest on the pitch for the whole game. Like, I don't understand how that happened. It's not good enough either way. We'll see what happens next week. No, um, so there yeah. you go. So that More. was the games from the weekend, which we've which we've mm. veered off and I'm back onto for quite some time now. Yeah. Uh, let's oh, yes. talk about this latest feature we've got, and I, I threw this out on Twitter during the week. Player spotted, a feature I'm trying to start, where we're asking yes. you to send us examples of when you've uh, spotted rugby players out doing something completely run of the mill and banal. Uh, you can DM mm-hmm. them to us at Blood and Mud on Twitter, or if it's a longer story and you, or you prefer, you can get get in touch with me, which is Lee at bloodandmud.com on the on the email either. This week, uh, Michael Watt got in touch with a story about Rory Jackson. He said, there's loads of elements of this story I don't understand, right? Last season, (laughs) I bumped into Rory Jackson, occasional Scotland fly half, then of Wasps, now at Quinns, in an Italian-themed restaurant-stroke club in South London called Bunga Bunga. Now, what I didn't know there was such a thing as an Italian-themed restaurant and club, <laughs> right? And isn't Bunga Bunga one of those no. dodgy parties where, he, where Berlusconi used to in, is, yeah. in, you know, invite 13-year-old yeah. Lithuanian girls to? Anyway, yeah. it's, one of, it's one of those horrendously cheesy places where all the walls are covered in Italian kitchen and they serve cocktails in hollowed-out ceramic Fiat 500s. Oof. <laughs> I had a Diet Coke served <laughs> to me in a Fucking jar hell. the week. In Flint oh. in North Wales. I mean, what the fuck are they trying to do? <laughs> Is that just because they didn't have anything? They didn't anything have anything rush shaped. Uh, <laughs> um, so, as he says, Earth, about the Fiat Fowler thing. You arrive at 11 a.m. Mm. This is where it gets confusing to me. Yeah. You arrive at 11 a.m., have brunch and drink brought and enough Prosecco to drown a small horse. Then they close the blinds and turn it into a club. They play terrible music till 4 p.m. And then they turn you out on the street, drunk and blinking in the daylight, surrounded by bemused passers-by. So it's a club that runs between 11am and 4 Either he's mistyped this, or this is a very strange place. Anyway, Jackson was in I, Bunga Bunga. I'm, fa- I'm 
some slightly I don't understand this, yeah. Anyway, on. Jackson was in yeah. Bunga Bunga with some friends, one of whom was another Wasp player. I forget his name, but it wasn't the Hask, sadly. Well, you'd know it was him, wouldn't you? <laughs> Being a Scottish <laughs> rugby fan, I spotted Jackson and pointed him out to my mate, who then promptly walked over and asked him to come over and chat to us, telling him I'm a big fan of his. Now, my mate mm. is Welsh, so obviously he got the wrong bloke and actually approached the other Wasp player. By this point, I'm dying of embarrassment. My girlfriend is next to me wondering what the fuck is going on, and Jackson looks very bemused. In the end, we shared a manly handshake, and I wished him the best of luck with his injury he had at the time. A a little later, my idiot mate had one too many drinks and threw up in the alley outside Bunga Bunga, presumably at 2pm in the afternoon, as I looked on and laughed, so balance (laughs) was restored to the universe. So there you go, Michael went to the strangest sounding club on earth and shook hands with Rory Jackson. Yeah. Yeah, I live with you. The story is much more interesting for the scenario that it happened in. <laughs> well, the idea is they're meant to be quite mundane stories. I've had loads of people telling me they've spotted yes. people buying things in Waitrose and stuff. This, this is a this is a mundane story that's sort of contained within the shell <laughs> well, of an incredibly contained interesting within the shell story. of the most interesting <laughs> club I think I've ever heard of. So, if you're out there, anybody, Michael Watt, obviously you are, but if anybody's out there who's been mm. to Bunga Bunga in South yeah. London... Is that right that it opens at 11am and closes at 4pm after getting you completely trolleyed? I find that very strange. I'm going to have to I'm going to have to google this. <laughs> you have a look at that. While you're starting googling that, I will say that you can't again mm. you get to that blood and mud for the player spotted feature. And uh, thank you Michael for taking the time to that because I fucking love that story. It makes no sense it's at amazing. all. It's amazing. It's Yeah, oh, it does appear we found to be real. Go. I mean, it's, what can I say? <laughs> I I'm not sure I can really describe what I'm looking at here. It is just like the most awful kitsch pile of shit that you could ever imagine. And yet, where's your opening hours? Show us your opening hours. No, no, no sign. Probably because they're too baffling. You it... just get people to turn up thinking they're having a late <laughs> breakfast. And then they basically get turfed out at 4pm completely bladdered on Prosecco. And why not? I mean, the pizzas look good. I'll give them that. It's paid. And Not as good as the, Michael Watts' pavement pizza looked, I imagine, in the middle of the afternoon. Mm-hmm. Anyway, let's move on to the shit good ratings. Yes. Let's 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 talk about Bunga let's, Bunga. <laughs> let's talk about how good Bunga Bunga is. Uh, not the party, <laughs> the club. Please don't don't read no, anything into yes, that. Yes, definitely not. Definitely not the party. Um, she was not a Go. shit. Then uh, Scott Williams. Um, I could have picked any Welsh player who took the field against the Chiefs on uh, on Tuesday, to be honest, but. He earns my special ire for the way that he selfishly and arrogantly uh, bombed at least two nailed-on tries by refusing to just give a simple pass, like trying to go it in alone and ended up fucking it up. Like, I get it. Midweek games are a chance to show the coach that you deserve to start, but you do that by playing well, not trying to like score every time you get the ball. Um, I thought it was very telling that Williams didn't actually get onto the field until the 78th minute, despite the fact that Wales' midfield wasn't really doing that much on Saturday. Um, I think Gatlin might have been making a little point. John Davis had a very uh, eccentric performance, didn't he? Incredibly. I mean, his handoff was amazing. And he looked good. He even put try. some decent kicks in once. Yeah. Uh, but like, beyond, the, the, the Den kept doing those strange kicks and looked a bit out of sorts, yeah. and it was... Very odd. He's not looked. At, I I hope that he sort of finds himself a little bit when he goes back to the Scarlets next year because he looks very out of sorts at the moment. And that's yeah, a bloody French to... for you. It's probably the EU's fault. It is. I blame the EU, Josh. <laughs> I'm. It's all. If if we vote leave, then, then John Davis will play better. Our, 
Fact. Yes, all of our rugby players fact. They will become say, as good Everybody as in this campaign players. either side says anything's a fact. So I'm going to throw that out there. John Davis <laughs> will play better if we leave the EU. Fact. Uh, anyway, speaking of uh, France, uh, shit. Uh, yeah. Jules Plisson uh, has been in the squad to tour Argentina that's been announced this week by our great mm. friend uh, and not at all insane person, Guinove, has uh, named mm. Jules Plisson as the captain of his touring squad. Is that a joke? No. <laughs> That's got to be a joke. He's not. As someone pointed out no. on Twitter to bring the Lexington back into it, the it's... decision to appoint police on as captain is completely police on. It, yes. It's, I know that they're like down on numbers. Is he the only player in the squad? <laughs> is that... Is, yeah, he's captain and he's named one to fifteen. Is it him and Vakatawa and they've just gone, well, fucking hell, we can't give it to that. Vakatawa can't even speak the language, you can't give it to him. Yeah. No, he's named the captain of that touring squad. That, yeah. That is genuinely batshit Above, insane. like, forwards and everything. He's the man, apparently. Wow. Can you imagine what he will say yeah. in a huddle when you're ten points down versus Argentina? He'll be, beat yeah. poetry. <laughs> yeah. Listen, lads, this is what... Let me get the flip chart out. <laughs> Well, well, ID is this? All right. Oh, that is incredible. Wow, yeah, so that is they wonderful. play Argentina on Tuesday night. Yeah, that's an odd time to play Argentina. So the twentieth? No, tomorrow. Tomorrow evening, oh. the twentieth, oh. are playing them. I think, if oh, I remember correctly. Um, good fucking luck. Good luck. <laughs> good luck. So you've got you're taking <laughs> half your, half your squad s- captain mm. by basically Brad Pitt from Twelve Monkeys. Yeah. Against uh, an Argentinian team who have basically had the best preseason ever by all playing in together Super for the Rugby, yeah, in the same team. Yeah. They, so they, they literally take their shirts, their orange shirts off, and put some blue and white stripy ones on, and it's exactly. And they the both same. and look equally as beautiful as in the last shirt. Yes, they do. Beautiful exactly. shirts. Okay, what have you got? Um, for shit? Wow, that's gonna um, like, at least when chips the chips are down, they'll have the steely leadership. Tune in next week. To see how Jules Plisson went on. <laughs> Let's be honest, will be the most entertaining thing about it all. Before we go on to next week, let me just say everybody that after next week we will be taking an off season with the bloodandwood.com yes. podcast. We will be taking time off until sometime near the start of the season, just so you know. Mm-hmm. Right, go on, Josh. Any more shit from you? Uh yeah, uh Bernard Foley. Um mm. I think we probably said before the whole tour started that we didn't think he would be able to maintain the sort of high level that he did at the World Cup. And uh, on the evidence of those first two tests, yeah, like he's a good goal kicker, um, but his game management isn't very good. His tactical game in general seems to fall apart without. He needs. It's kind of like the way that we were talking about Ford without Farrell, and vice versa. Yeah. Like I'm not sure Foley really works without a Gitto and a Genia on either side of him to kind of steer him in the right direction. He's just spectacularly fit- ordinary, isn't he? Yeah, and Phipps and Karevi are like, you know, nowhere near the kind of players that Gitto and Genia were. So yes, yeah, he's just he's just not up to it, is he? Yeah, um, shit wise, I've got the Wales line out, which we've already talked about, and oh, I was so long going to that again, but it was really bad. Why did they keep going to the front? I don't know, especially when they just got bungled into touch from the mall. It's like they were obviously like paranoid about Retallic picking off their, their ball off the top but I just don't know it was bad it was really it bad it was truly truly absolutely awful and yeah it's thir- that's 13 stuff getting rammed into touch yeah, and the changing the players now. didn't actually 
make any like usually if one hooker's having a mare you bring a new one on and it gets better but it didn't at all for whatever reason no so that was that uh, another shit thing for me was the haircuts in the South African team never mind the Ooh, way they really play the, there's, a, there's a spectacular concentration of absolutely dreadful barnets throughout that entire squad they are really and it's a weird sort of mix of kind of trendy haircuts surfer and cuts then, yeah and then haircuts that look like they've been done on a national health. I mean Eben Etzebeth the best Eben Etzebeth's hair and I suppose he can have whatever hair he wants can't he really But he absolutely uh, can the best way I could describe it was as a full circumference fringe mullet <laughs> because it, it's like a mullet that's the fringe all the way around to. I mean, you know, you know. Sometimes you look at somebody's hair and you go, "What do you ask for when you go to the barbers? How do you describe that?" <laughs> when they sit down and say, what, "What? What is it for you today, mate?" John Inverdale's like yeah. that. How does what mm. does John Inverdale ask for when he goes to the barbers? I don't know. But it just ends up looking like By that. By now, I think he just sort of asks for the usual, and then they kind of just bring a selection of burrowing rodents in <laughs> to kind of just just. Nip at it a Can I have bit. the regional Cuntish sales manager cut, please? Which is basically what it looks <laughs> But yeah, Etzebeth, he's got this. And Adrian Strauss looks for all the world like Biff from Back to the Future's more disagreeable cousin. <laughs> he, he looks does, like he a school sort of, bully, doesn't he? <laughs> he really does. And he's got that sort of. His hair isn't big enough for his face. You know? It's kind and he's of growing like, his hair over his neck fold at the back. Which you shouldn't yeah, do because it, that's the whole point of being a front row forward is that people can see your neck fold. Exactly. He's kind of, he is like a big blonde baby with a weird baby haircut. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's very strange. But yet the most it's powerful really, really baby strange. in the world. Yes. <laughs> with the biggest baby neck in the world. <laughs> very strange. Yeah, so there you go. So the South African haircuts are quite inexplicable. Mm. In terms of shit that I got from... Uh, Twitter. Uh, yes. Ad Hon got in touch on Twitter. Ad Hon mm. one, and he said, "I enjoyed Nigel Owens's backfiring intervention on tw- on Farrell, and I can't, and I don't know if this counts as shit or good." Yeah. So when you saw that big I Nigel, mean, inter- you know, did that thing where he'd not been he on, he'd not, he'd not been on telly enough, had he? He walked yeah. on his white boots on, looking looking <laughs> belted. He has had the OBE mm-hmm. this week. You know, so oh, fair, well, so fair, fair play. Was, was he wearing it? <laughs> <laughs> I got an OBE, you know. He said, but he said the, no. So and he said, somebody <laughs> fell over. I thought there was nothing in it myself, but obviously no. I thought it was been a six-one. And when you say it's backfired, it's interesting because obviously that assumes that Nigel wanted to get to yeah, get an, Eng- to get an English player to... uh, penalised, yeah. and then it backfired massively because actually it looked like the Aussie actually stepped across Farrell. So. Yeah, he just told him to have a look at it. He wasn't passing judgment on like he's not going to be gutted that. Well, you say that. that. <laughs> well, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, so yeah, that was just bizarre. But yeah, another example of how they just need to stay the fuck out of the game and let everything get on with it. Really, he doesn't. Well, not him, just I mean, generally. The whole, I, I can't. Into it I again. kind of sympathise with Nice because it's kind of like he's the only one that really knows what he's talking <laughs> yeah. about. So he must just kind of like sort of sitting there while you. It's like if you're in a band or whatever, and you're watching another like the band before yeah. you play, and they're fucking terrible. Yeah. Which you, you think about every walk... other band when you're in a band, by the way. Yeah, and you just kind of watch it, and you kind of just want to walk over and quietly turn the guy's amp off or something. Or like, or like when you done. stood, when you stood, the bl- somebody in work says, "You can you show me how to do this on an Excel spreadsheet," and you go, "Well," and you yeah. stood telling. It's quicker if I yeah, just yeah, do it. Yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> Stop telling them. Why do that? Use the mouse. Why? Right click. No. Why are you yeah, using the no, file? Just... No. It's, it's like yeah, that. Yeah, that. You're stood there quietly yeah. seething and have to walk mm. away, basically. That is basically Nigel all the time when he's online, ODT, I think. Any more shit um, good from you, Josh? Yes. Uh, Warren Gatland's uh, latest example of bullshit bingo. Um, we all know that he loves to say nonsense things about stats after games to try and make it seem like Wales are better than they are. Um, but after the game today, he said, um, the big thing for me is that we said that we're going to get better each week and we have. We had 41% territory last week and 58% this week. Ah, stats, just, the last the last no, refuge of just, the scoundrel. Just, no, rugby isn't a possession game. England and the All Blacks have demonstrated this weekend that it's about being clinical with the ball that you have. Um, it means fuck all. And the only statistic that really matters, as we both know, is the scoreline at the end of the game. And it's about time that him and coaches like him remembered that. But also, uh, to be honest, though, I, I everybody should be happy that he hasn't had one of those blame the players ones. Anything's an improvement on that, where he just comes out and has a massive go at them all the time. I mean, he, he kind of got that one out of his system on true, Tuesday, though. True enough. He basically said that they, none you, of those players will ever play for Wales again. Oh, shit. Yeah. Rugby's yeah. a very you simple base- game. You can't do any of the things involved in it. Yes. Enjoy playing fewer regions during the Six Nations next year. Uh, yeah. Um, other shits for me. Um, trial by Twitter, namely the whole Ferrari at Michael Hooper throwing mud in James Haskell's face at the scrum, which I thought was quite funny. I found that absolutely um, hilarious. And actually, yes, not just because it was against Haskell, which you all might be thinking that's why I think that. I just don't. Mm. I think it's genuinely fucking funny. I used to play blindside, yeah. right? Very badly. And I got all kinds of shit happening to me when I was playing on that side. And I tried to do stuff yeah. as well because that's, you know, it's the game and it's funny and it was nice to yeah. see it. But. Yeah, apparently, like, obviously, it flew around Twitter instantly and there were all sorts of people queuing up to declare Hooper a disgrace and a cheat and a dirty bastard and all this sort of stuff. Um, but when the ground level angle of that mm. thing then turned up like an hour later like Hooper was just shoving a little bit of clod that was underneath his hand and didn't even sort of get about two inches off the ground and went nowhere near Haskell at all which and, would make sense because like, Haskell doesn't react at all does he which you would think he no, would because no matter how tough you are or whatever a shitload yeah, of sand hitting you in the face just make you jump a bit yeah, you yeah you'd at least lift your hand up or hmm. yeah and like we like we've all jumped to conclusions about something that's happened on the rugby field off the back of a six second vine, but it was yeah. quite sort of a timely reminder. I thought we've all that... called a blind person a twat without realising. Come on, <laughs> case in point, exactly. Uh, yeah, so maybe we should like step back and resist the urge to retweet about some of these things. Yeah, the the, the instantly when... recordable GIF is 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 both a great and dangerous thing. Like anything, for every is. use, it there is. is an abuse, as they say. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything is. else shit from you or should we go on to good uh, I've got the only last shit I've got is a very quick one and that's Joe Marler just <laughs> uh, How, like, how's that time of your psychologist going yeah I don't think anyone could object to the content of what Absolutely he said not, no. namely I mean Bob Dwyer a professional wind up merchant that he is is a bit of a wanker however when you're taking a summer off from a game to deal with some serious impulse, impulse control issues Calling a World Cup coach a, pu- a wanker publicly on Twitter, not exactly demonstrating to your coach or the rugby public that you've learned your obviously lesson has to have it. and you're making progress. He needs to be one of those. I think I saw an interview with Adele, the singer, who said that she now has to have something to run her Twitter because she can't be trusted. Yes, and yes. She kind of laughed she about it. And actually, yeah. that's probably what he needs now. Either turn it in or get yourself a PA or make the. Actually, make the bloody. 
RFU pay for your PA. They, pro- they yeah, probably would, exactly. given the, the PR savings they'd make. Exactly. Think about all of the press releases that they will then not have to put out as a result of paying some fucking social media intern 18 grand a year to basically shield us from Joe Marler's worst impulses. Let's do good. Carl Asko got in touch at Blood and Mud on Twitter mm. saying, good was George Ford's defence. He's often criticised yes, for it. Or, if not criticised, not good. given credit for it. And this weekend yeah. he, was, he was as immense as anybody else on the park. Yeah, I could like we've always talked about how sort of Farrell is is basically the sort of one that does the defensive work, so he doesn't have to in the past, and and I think he comprehensively answered that this weekend. He was excellent. Yeah, um, good from you. Uh, good from me. Uh, I'm going to try my best to say this, pronounce this properly. Uh, Ruan Combring. Oh, the winger the, that they brought on, the South African winger. What an absolute handful he is. <laughs> he is. Um, yes. I think Paddy Jackson and Jared Payne know exactly how much of a handful he is. Um, they probably won't want to watch that video on Monday either because he absolutely mullered Last them. week, Joel Stransky was saying he should have started the game at fullback. At fullback, yeah. but not on the wing. Mm. Which I found it because, probably just because Stransky, everybody hates Willie LaRue at the minute, don't they? So Stransky yeah, just wanted to. Do. But you think about it, if you, get him out there. If you look at like Combrick, actually, you just give him the ball and let him run, it looks like he could cause absolute mm. havoc. Yeah, he's sort of like a faster, more effective Scott Spedding in that regard. Yes, yes, a big equally South African, <laughs> equally massive, um, but a lot quicker. Please, like don't, his don't try wish that on was... him, though. Be careful. No, no. Um, his try was great. Well, he's one of those. Like... Just think, oh, somebody's got him. I know they haven't. Oh, he's got yeah. him. Oh no, he oh, hasn't. And he doesn't actually step or change. He just kept just running no, straight while just people just pure fell away from him. That... Yeah. Yeah, for all the talk that we have spent ages talking about Liam Williams, who was also probably good in the good column this was, week, yeah. um, for having you know that ability to make a man miss and like glide through a gap. Sometimes rugby is just a game about being a fucking massive, fast, bloke and massive long. Somebody. Yeah. Mm. Yes, he was very good. Um, Chris Robshaw. Uh, I think yeah. the renaissance of the England so... team. He's not been mentioned enough, really, actually, and he was no, he was outstanding. He's... The level of like opprobrium that he got post World Cup and everything, I always thought was a bit unfair. And we're on he's record of saying six. that. Listen to it back. Yes, we, we are on record. And he's a much better six than he ever was a seven. Um, but he's just been he's been great for Eddie. He always was good. He was always a good player. You know, he was a, he was just playing with the number seven on his back, and therefore was being judged against the likes of Sam Warburton and David Pocock and Michael Hooper. Yes and Richie McCaw in terms of what he did and he doesn't do that but he is an incredibly committed talented and effective rugby player and he's demonstrated that in absolutely massive fashion on on Saturday I thought he certainly did as did Vonapola um, mm. he played for 80 minutes and didn't look like he had to stagger off for oxygen which is always yes, a, which is which always a good fair thing play to him. anything else uh, Reese Patchell, just because I was pleasantly surprised that he <laughs> that's wasn't. That's one of a good rating because of what it could have been. Isn't it? <laughs> exactly. The flip side of that, I mean, when the, I saw the man who wants to play outside half so much that he's left his club to go and play outside half for Scarlets, starting at 15 against the All Blacks for his first start test cap, like. <laughs> That could have gone horrendously yeah. badly. Thanks, Warren. I love my country, but thanks, Warren. <laughs> yeah, cheers for that. 
And no, I mean he showed he really showed the value of having a second distributor in the back line. I thought because he yeah. he didn't look out of place at all, really... did he? and he wasn't no, humiliated. At all. Um, he didn't look showing up. His defence was all right. And yeah, he and came into the line sensibly start... and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, for your first start out of position against the All Blacks, I think that's probably about as much as you can hope for. It is. Anything else? Mm. Uh, well, just one mate, and that's oh. it's James Haskell. Now, I know you're doing this on purpose now. <laughs> So I'm just not. I'm not going to join in anymore. I honestly just think if if Haskell keeps playing like this, you might need to start wearing an England jersey with six and a half on the back as pennants <laughs> and put pictures I mean, of it. Should I apologise to him on social media to see if he'll unblock me? <laughs> maybe I can. Instagram. Maybe I can like do a like a selfie of me singing a song to him or something like he would. Maybe like, that's what James <clears throat> would do. Yeah, or just make it a, a like. A DJ mix of all your favourite songs and then send it to him on CD. He'll appreciate that, won't he? Yes. Maybe. Uh, it wasn't as good as day, last week, know? and it was set up a good a game that was quite set up well for him, I would say. Oh, it was a perfect game for him, uh, absolutely. And you're not going to have to deal with this next week because he's injured now. So, and of course, um, I wouldn't waste that on him at all. Let's just get that out there. Not at all. I'm, I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm a twat, but I'm not a cunt, as they say. You know. No, and it doesn't. He doesn't care now. The series is won. Let's, let's be honest. Be honest. He can devote his time to, probably... to DJing and, and Chloe Madeley and social media hashtag bants with a Z. Yeah. He's had some. He's, a he's had a video, another video of him with Owen yeah, Farrell being. I I've not that. actually seen it, but I've I've, I've had it, it sent to me again. <laughs> of was it? Have. Yeah. Was it? Was it just Owen Farrell ignoring him again? Uh, Does Owen yeah, Farrell genuinely of. hate him, or is it all scripted? I I assume most people genuinely hate him, but F- he's like the comic. Well, he said himself in that interview. You know, he was basically regarded as comic relief in the old squad. So it wouldn't yeah. shock me if any the bands had to start all over of, again. He yeah, said so. it wouldn't shock I don't, me. I still if don't know what that means. Just think it was a joke. No, it's weird, isn't well, it? Is he was, in, he was anyway. interviewed at the end of the game, and I said, and I muttered to him under my breath, watching as I was typing, "Oh fuck off, Haskell." And uh, my wife, who knows about my long-running feud with him, said, <laughs> "Oh, is that him?" Because she's never seen him before. And then I noticed that she gazed at the TV a little bit longer than made me comfortable, actually, oh, and then put her eyes back down to a Kindle. It did make me think, oh, <laughs> oh, right. Here we go. Yeah. We've reached. And speaking of that game, actually, it's amazing he didn't get a yellow card in the first half. Like, that was. It's, I don't know whether he like had Craig Schubert's family like held hostage in an undisclosed location or something, but. Yeah. Like, the number of penalties that he conceded he just was determined not to give him a yellow card I think card. the it was penalty count was 9-6 England on mm. 9 so it was. It felt like there was more penalties than that I'll be honest but it, it, there wasn't I think there were more penalty offences yeah there was more penalty offences than that and there were more ones in the red zone that Joubert kept saying yeah. you can't do that anymore sort of thing mm. Anyway, we've reached the end of another week our penultimate week yeah, of the indeed. season next week is the, is the mm. last week should we bring like uh, little mince pie, little uh, pork pies in, and fizzy pop next week. Into yeah, that. I was going to bring some board games yeah. and remote control <laughs> no, car. Wear our own clothes um. <laughs> uh, for next week uh, because that's the end. We are going to finish with the loop as we always do, the world's first and only rugby-related playlist. And this week, it is in relation to the horrible pitch that we mentioned, the AAMI, and generally rugby. Oof. Generally, it's digging in the dirt by Peter Gabriel because I think that we needed to yeah. prog it right up. <laughs> Everybody's immediately so. just turned off. <laughs> but anyway, that's what it is. It's digging in the dirt by Peter Gabriel. Thanks a lot, Josh. I'll speak to you next week. Always a pleasure. So you get take care. Ta-da.
Pick up your phone while driving, and you might need to be picked up from work. Break the speed limit, and you could be breaking plans with your mates. Leave L or N plates off your car, and you could be left getting taxis for the next six months. So ask yourself, is it really worth it? Seven penalty points over three years will disqualify learner and novice drivers for six months. Steer clear of points, and stay on the road. A message from the Road Safety Authority. Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.